Watch podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Beef Educator. For today's Beef Watch podcast, we're going to be discussing an article from the March issue of the Beef Watch newsletter titled New Antibiotic Restrictions Soon to Become Reality. To discuss this topic, I'm joined today by the co-authors, Dr. Becky Funk, who's part of the veterinarian team at the Great Plains Veterinary Education Center, as well as Jesse Fulton, who's a Nebraska Extension Educator and also Director of Nebraska Beef Quality Assurance. Thanks for joining me today. Happy to be here, Aaron. Thanks, Aaron. In this article, you highlight some coming changes in terms of how certain antibiotics are going to be able to be purchased and utilized by producers. Walk through with us some of the changes that have occurred, how those changes are coming about, and what are some things producers really need to be thinking about now as they think about what this might mean for them with their operations. Yeah, Aaron, this is a topic that we want to make sure our producers were aware of, not only here in Nebraska, but any producer that listens in to the, the Beef Watch podcast. So uh, kind of what it is, is in 2017, the Food and Drug Administration, or FDA, um, they began implementing the guidance for the industry 213. And so in that guidance, it was really became known as the Veterinary Feed Directive. And it really targeted our medically important antimicrobials that are used in livestock feed and water. And so since it only targeted those, it didn't target those medically important antimicrobials that are used in other uh, ways given to the animal, whether injectables or intermammary. And so that's kind of what guidance 263 is targeting now. Um, so 263 was first kind of uh, brought up and the final information was released on it in uh, June 11th of 2021. And it was kind of a two-year plan. So by June 11th, 2023, uh, they are asking pharmaceutical companies to voluntarily bring those products or, or those antimicrobials that are important um, to humans, essentially, uh, underneath the guidance of a veterinarian and have those medications be written, covered under a prescription from a veterinarian. So as we think about these products, these would be things that you would go into a, a farm store or to your local feed store and you could buy over the counter, but now there's going to be a restriction on those. Yeah, Aaron. So what we're, you know, the products we're expecting or that we know are going to be an issue going forward um, are some products that are commonly used by our beef producers. Um, the tetracyclines, which most people know is like LA-200, biomyosin, um, liquamycin, uh, those types of products. So those injectables, um, injectable penicillins of many different forms, benzapen, long-acting pen, um, penicillin G, uh, sulfa-based antibiotics. So a lot of your um, calf or cow bolus um, preparations are now going to be prescription only, um, as well as like Jesse mentioned, those intramammaries. So uh, those mastitis treatments that you're, you're direct applying to that udder, like a today or a tomorrow type product. So those are all going to be products that will now require uh, a prescription, just like many other products that you're familiar with, like a Draxin or a Batril or, or those type of products that we're already used to doing that with. So it won't take them off the market by any means. It's just going to put them under, under drug veterinary supervision so that we make sure we're using those products correctly adhering to appropriate withdrawal times, things like that. As you think about a veterinarian and their role in this process, give a little more from a veterinarian's perspective about when you're working with a client, establishing that relationship, thinking about prescribing medication, 
What are the things you think through and what's important to you? So it's going to vary a little bit by state, but every state has a veterinary practice act that we act under as a license, as a licensed veterinarian. Um, and, and in the state of Nebraska, that practice act requires that if I'm going to prescribe a treatment for an animal, that I either have directly seen and examined that animal and performed a diagnosis um, and determined a correct path of treatment, or that I have um, a good working knowledge of the management, housing, um, environment of that animal that would allow me to, with that producer, make a good judgment on a diagnosis and a treatment. And this is where um, we can have a VCPR and a more of a consultatory type relationship with a veterinarian, but that's where we get into veterinarians that may work with you in writing um, SOPs or standard operating procedures for things like diagnosing and treating a pneumonia or diagnosing and treating a mastitis in your herd, where they've set up that relationship, made sure you have the correct training to make that diagnosis or the correct knowledge to make that diagnosis. Um, and then can go ahead and follow that SOP appropriately. And then that you also have the responsibility as that producer to contact the veterinarian if you need to make changes to that treatment protocol, or if that treatment protocol isn't successful, uh, that we need to determine a a different way to follow up with that treatment protocol. Um, And then to be able, as mentioned before, to make sure we're adhering to any withdrawal. Um, So those are all the responsibilities for both veterinarian and producer in that relationship that are important when we're talking about setting up a VCPR to to obtain prescription antibiotics. Jesse, in your work with the Beef Quality Assurance Program, you talk about the importance of having a VCPR, but also then when we use products to make sure they're used according to label, proper withdrawal times. Just talk with us again about how this new regulation, I think, actually helps point producers to maybe thinking purposefully about that relationship with their veterinarian. And also, are they using the drugs according to label and in the way they should be? Yeah, so a VCPR, veterinary client-patient relationship, um, is just that relationship that you have with your vet um, to where they pretty much understand what you're doing on your operation. Um, they know what class of animals you have, if you're raising seed stock or if they're all going all your calves are terminal, um, what kind of illnesses or diseases you might be fighting on your operation, and what kind of uh, treatments you usually give, as well as vaccinations. And so kind of what Dr. Funk was talking about, you know, they work with the producer on helping them identify uh, sicknesses and then, what is the best route of treatment that they should be following. And so with this new guidance, it's going to be uh, kind of mandatory that that producers that are getting a prescription for one of these medically important antibiotics to have a VCPR with their veterinarian. This isn't something that people should think is, you know, way out of bounds asking for. This is something that people already typically have uh, when they actually use their vet on a regular basis, or if they have a dog, essentially, right, everybody takes their dog to the vet. And so they have a VCPR through that relationship. This is just for your cattle, your herd. And so um, it's not not much more than what we're already doing today. Now, BQA does ask producers to have a written VCPR. Um, So we have a form on our website at bqa.unl.edu, where you can go online 
and, and print off this written BCPR form. That's just that agreement. And for your records that show, hey, this is my herd veterinarian. He's the one I work with um, when I look at these things. And then your veterinarian can also keep a copy in their office as well if they need to. Now, these records for these prescriptions, I know the VFD requires producers to keep these records for up to two years. Um, I'll have Dr. Funk chime in if it's going to be the same way on this guidance 263, um, but it is important to maintain those records. When it comes to following the label, you know, the label is the a very important guideline that we may need to make sure we're paying close attention to um, because of the withdrawal period on the label. And so we want to make sure that we hold that animal until that withdrawal has cleared um, to prevent any violative residues from showing up into the into the product or the edible product. Um, violative residue is kind of just pretty simple that um, if a producer does not wait the full withdrawal time, there is there could be a chance that um, product could still remain in edible tissue. And that's something we definitely don't want happening. And so we need to make sure our producers are reading that label and following that label. Now, there are instances where sometimes uh, we do go off label. It's extra label drug use um, that is only allowed to be done when prescribed by a veterinarian. Um, so, again, that's something that in BQA we ask producers to get that in writing. And we also ask the veterinarians to get that extra label drug use in writing as well um, so that they can refer back to it and see it. Whenever we go off label, whether it means that we're given that uh, that uh, drug or whatever in a, in a different route or different frequency. So, you know, if it says give it every 24 hours and, you know, we extend that or shrink that up. Um, or for a different duration, it says give it three days, we only go two days, we're off label. And that's actually against the law through FDA, um, unless a veterinarian has prescribed it. Now, we got to remember that there are some drugs out there we are not allowed to go off label in uh, food animals. Um, but I'll let Dr. Funk chime in anymore on, on that uh, part with extra label drug use. Yeah, so you did a great job, Jesse, of summing that up. Um, I'll just touch on the record keeping. So we have not been notified of any duration of producer records the way we were with the VFD, to my knowledge at this point. Um, whether that will change, we'll have to wait and see. But the interesting thing is we get more into the legalities of, of prescribing um, where a VFD isn't truly considered a prescription. This will actually be a prescription. So that means that we as the veterinary office um, have a legal burden of keeping that in um, in your herd records or in your animal records, we have a legal obligation to keep records of, of everything we do as far as treatment, prescribing, follow-up, things like that. Um, so we will have record of that. And then the other thing is, is records at the point of sale. If, you know, if we're prescribing this out of our office to, you know, a distributor or a supplier that you're taking that prescription um, either either physically or in digital form um, as the quote unquote pharmacy, that entity has a records keeping burden legally as well. Um, so there's lots of people in the records keeping stream. And just a little bit on off-label drug use, generally speaking, if we do go off-label, um, even with something that's labeled for food animals, such as let's say penicillin, um, oftentimes you're going to see us extend that withdrawal. Either um, we we have the opportunity to call a, a service called Farad, which can give us some 
some scientific guidance on how to extend those withdrawals in off-label uh, drug use. So that's nice to have. With, that might be something we do, or it might just be something that we, we prescribe often enough that we've already done that, know that that withdrawal needs to be, you know, maybe doubled or whatever that, that factor of extended withdrawal happens to be. Um, so just some things to know as you're working with your veterinarian on these prescription products. Anything else on this topic that you think would be valuable for producers to think through as they begin to encounter some change in terms of how they purchase and source common antibiotics? Yeah. So one thing and, and that I want to bring up is we were talking to, I was talking to a producer the other day about this and just letting him know, we're just having casual conversation in the cell barn and, and he wasn't aware of this. And so the first words out of his mouth when I brought this up was, oh, I better get to the store and stock up on this stuff and, you know, have it all on hand. Well, producers do not need to rush out and stock up on this stuff. Um, again, it's still going to be readily available. You're just going to have to go through your veterinarian to get a prescription uh, to get the product. That doesn't mean you have to source the product from the veterinarian. Uh, it just means you got to have that script from your veterinarian. Uh, the reason we do not want you stocking up on this stuff is because, um, you know, whenever we have people do a rush on stuff, it could lead to supply limitations for one. But the main thing is these products have an expiration period on them. And we do not want to be using expired products. When we do that, we can cause problems or, or failure and um, how the animal is treated. Um, I'll let Dr. Funk kind of elaborate on, on some of the big issues we can see if we, if we use an expired product. But from a BQA standpoint, we do not want to be using expired product. Yeah, so Jesse, we, from an efficacy standpoint, we don't want to see expired product out there either. The biggest thing is just what you touched on is, is if we're using a product that's expired, there's a shelf life on that product for a reason. And that might be that that product either degrades or changes over time. Um, you know, if that product is degrading in the bottle, we go to treat that animal, we may not see it. We may see a treatment failure. Um, we can, we can also see if we see changes of that product over time, there's also a chance that we could see something that would cause a more, um, likelihood of an adverse reaction in that product as well. The other thing to keep in mind is if you do have treatment failures or adverse reactions, if you're using an expired product, um, that company's liability is not intact. They, they told you it expired on, on whatever date it expired on and that they, they won't stand behind the product after that for you know, for a known reason, they know it either degrades or changes. So keep that in mind as well. And then the other thing to keep in mind is, is if you do have a lot of product on your shelf, um, that it's expired, you don't want to use it. Um, we have to find a, a safe way to dispose of that product as well. Um, so that's something to keep in the back of your mind, um, really for any product that you have on your shelf over time, that the disposal is, is important as well. But that that's most of the issues we see with expired product is, is primarily treatment failures. Uh, one thing I wanted, I wanted to add is just uh, when it comes to um, these products and getting them purchased, you know, some producers might worry that when they have a sick animal, they have to be quick and react quickly in giving a product. And they might worry that, you know, this could take time to get a, a prescription from their vet in order to the, for them to get the product. You know, if they get that VCPR taken care of and the vet already has an idea of what is taking place on their operation, 
um, it just speeds the whole process up a lot quicker. And the veterinarian would be quicker to get that prescription to you so you can get that product. So producers don't get left behind, get out there, get with your vet, get your VCPR taken care of so that you don't have any issues with this when this guidance takes effect. Thanks again for joining me today. Happy to be here. Thanks, Aaron. For more information on the topic that was discussed in today's Beef Watch podcast, I would encourage you to visit the beef.unl.edu website. Again, the title of the article that was discussed today is New Antibiotic Restrictions Soon to Become Reality. In the article, there are links to resources on the restrictions that are talked about in the article if you'd like to find more information.